And you get out and you feel like, you know, you did your part as a good person. Well, if you do that, that hour a day, five times a week, you do it reliably for six to eight weeks. So this is a lot of time. You got to drive there. You got to shower afterwards. You got to like get all your spandexy stuff on. Like it's a lot of time. <laughs> You'll improve by 2% your VO2 max, which is a study or a measure of your cardiovascular performance. If you do the techniques in Smarter Not Harder, which is about getting just the right signal in and then quickly recovering, you'll improve by 12% in five minutes, three times a week. But am I still a good person? Because it wasn't hard? No, you're going to have to find your good person-ness by using the other, oh, what is it? Yeah, the other four hours and 45 minutes, you're going to have to do something worthy with that time that you saved in order to be a good person. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. Running a practice is hard. There's always just so much to do. I want you to have more time to focus on the parts of your practice that fuel you, like helping people and spend less time on tedious soul-sucking admin work. That's why I recommend Practice Better in my Clinician Business Labs program. Practice Better is a complete practice management software for health and wellness professionals who want to scale their practice without the burnout. Practice Better was founded for practitioners by practitioners, and they understand what it takes to build your dream practice. Whether you're looking for your next client or growing your team, Practice Better is here to help make scaling your practice easier while helping you maintain your boundaries. Practice Better helps automate your booking, charting, and invoicing. But it's also way more than that. Creating protocols and treatment plans and tracking your client's progress is easier than ever. So your clients can be engaged in every step of their plan and you can provide a high level of care without burning out. Practice Better also integrates with your other favorite software so that your client data and recommendations sync securely and seamlessly. You can import data and results easily from lab orders, online dispensaries, fitness trackers, and even integrate Practice Better with your email and marketing funnels. And with their programs feature, you have everything you need to build and run an automated group program so that you can earn additional income all in one streamlined software. You'll also become part of a global community of wellness professionals who you can learn and grow with. So if you're a health and wellness professional looking to manage your practice with ease, get started with any Practice Better plan for free for 14 days. And as an exclusive offer for our listeners, get 30% off your first three months on any paid plan when you use the promo code MEGAN30 at checkout. It's time to say goodbye to a patchwork of software and hello to an organized and efficient practice. not going to lie, I've been really excited about this interview. This is an individual whose work I have looked to and respected for a great deal of time, not only because it was something that I deployed in my own clinical practice, but it was just something that was immensely interesting and fascinating to me. As most of you know, who've been hanging out for a period of time, this idea of human performance, this idea, I'm just going to call it biohacking. Although for many of my female clients, they're like, it's not my favorite word, but this idea of like fully optimizing our human potential. Well, this is kind of the realm that I've hung out with along with my patients for the last several years. And within that space, there are some notable and discernible leaders 
My guest today is one of those individuals, and I'm sure many of you are guessing who this is. I will share that Dave Asprey is here, and he is an award-winning entrepreneur and tech innovator known around the world as the father of biohacking. He's a multi-New York Times best-selling science author of Game Changers, Headstrong, and The Bulletproof Diet, the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, the host of the Human Upgrade podcast, formerly Bulletproof Radio, which is a Webby award-winning number one rated health show. Dave, I am coming for you. And he's also the founder and CEO of Upgrade Labs, the first franchise of biohacking gyms. And he recently launched Danger Coffee. He is a multifaceted, multi-talented entrepreneur. And he is here today because he is about to release, like in this moment it's taking place, his new book, Smarter, Not Harder, which I know without a doubt is also going to be his fifth New York Times best-selling book. And in our conversation today, we touched on all sorts of fascinating pieces. Yes, some of the traditional biohacking pieces, but like some of that stuff that's just kind of on the tip of curiosity of those of us who've been hanging out in this space for a long period of time. We talk about the connection between mitochondria and consciousness and manifestation. We talk about space and time. We talk about advancements in science that are going to change the game for longevity. And true to form and true to the title of this upcoming book, we talk about how to achieve the kind of health outcomes and gym outcomes we've been working so hard to have access to, how to achieve an hour-long workout in just five minutes. These are the attributes of biohacking that I just love, that deeply fascinate me. And frankly, if we're going to have this conversation, there's no one better to lead it. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to the one and only Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey, welcome to Impact. Megan, thanks for having me on. Well, I am delighted to have this conversation. I won't lie, I've got a lot of things that I want to uh, throw your way. But before we jump in, I want to give people an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. I was talking to my daughter this morning and I said, I had some interviews today and she's like, who are you interviewing? And I said, Dave Asprey. And she stopped for a second and she went, is that the guy whose picture was on your visa card for like five years? We were together in, <laughs> in Vegas. We went out to dinner and I commented on this little picture of your face and you just like stuck it on my visa and I couldn't get it off. So this was her, this was her association with you. And I know some members of my audience are, are really familiar with your work. And for others, this is entirely new. And by the end of it, they're going to be raving fans. But here's how I want to start off. I want to start off. If you could go back and speak to your 18 year old self, what would you be telling them about where you're at right now, what they need to worry about and what they need to just let go of? Oh, wow. All right. The first thing I would have said would be understand that people actually want to help you. And when you let them help you, you are performing an act of service. I love that. That would have been really, really helpful because I was uh, toiling under the mindset that I had to do everything myself because no one would help me or wanted to help me. And if I let them help me, then I would owe them some vague thing. And that's partly trauma and partly parenting and society and all that kind of stuff. So I would have said that first of all. And then I would have also said, you're a nerd, which is good. You really ought to invest some of your nerd energy into discernment of people. Because I didn't really get into that uh, until much later in life because I was such a tech person. And I had a very successful career in tech, but it turns out 
if you really want to be a good entrepreneur, which I've wanted to do since I was 12, you've got to get really good at avoiding narcissists and sociopaths <laughs> because the more successful you get, the more they target you, especially if you're public like I am. Uh, yeah, I, I would have probably had a very, uh, a much less stressful path through tech, even in recent times, just had I done a better job of having that weird intuitive radar that some people seem to be born with that I am having to build as I'm driving. So contextualize that mindset a little bit to the life circumstances of, you know, where you were at as an 18 year old kid and fill in the gap to where you are right now. Cause I know you have this really fascinating story, this hero's journey as it were with respect to health. Well, when I was young, uh, that age, uh, I actually started college studying computer science when I was, I was 16 when I went to college. And by the time I was in my third year of university, I weighed 300 pounds and I'd already been obese. I had arthritis since I was 14 diagnosed in my knees. By the time I was 26, uh, right after school, I made $6 million at the company that held Google's first servers. I was a co-founder of a part of that company uh, and I lost it all when I was 28. But in that time frame, I was diagnosed with high risk of stroke and heart attack. I had crippling brain fog, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. I still have massive stretch marks over my 8% body fat abs. Um, <laughs> they're kind of like war scars at this point. And it, it was that sense of, of helplessness over my own biology where I, I knew I was smart. I knew that I was succeeding and some of the things we were creating was changing the world, but I couldn't remember anything during, during the day. And you feel like you're driving and you have the accelerator pushed all the way to the floor, then you're slowing down. You can push harder, but it doesn't do anything. And it was that relying on willpower and grit far beyond what actually makes sense. Health wasn't good, but I was very motivated and driven. I think that's a, a good picture of it. I can say I failed out of my first university, went to uh, a second one. And now I have an MBA from Wharton, which I also almost failed out of. Thank you, Daniel Amen uh, from the, the Amen Clinics for showing me I had a hardware problem in my brain. And today, actually, I sit on Daniel Amen's board of directors, uh, which I'm really honored to do, sort of as a way of saying thanks for, <laughs> thanks for showing me I had a brain problem, not a moral failing problem. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs end up thinking that there's something wrong with them, partly because they're entrepreneurs, which means we're not muggles. It also means that, also that true. yeah, exactly. Right. We're just not average. Right. Also, when something doesn't work, we think it's like an effort issue, but it's usually not. It's a knowing what works issue. And that was what ended up getting me to write the new book that's just coming out now called Smarter Not Harder. I feel like particularly entrepreneurs like you and me and, and your listeners, no one used to write for us. No one even paid attention to us. And that was why biohacking became a thing. That's why Bulletproof was called the Bulletproof Executive. And that's why I wrote for entrepreneurs, even tech entrepreneurs. And it took off in that space because what an entrepreneur cares about is not what a normal person cares about. Like we care about our energy more than anything. And that's not true. Some people really care about how they look more than their energy. We want to look good too. But if you could have effortless brain function and all the energy in the world and you had to look 20% less attractive, almost every entrepreneur would be like, I'm in. Well, that's not normal people. Yeah. I, okay. I will give you that. And you know, in that, sh in that sharing, you said something, you felt helpless over your own body. Oh yeah. I want to share with you a headline that I saw this morning on CBC, which you'll be familiar with as a former Canadian resident. 
And it says, as Canada considers how to deal with childhood obesity, the U.S. is being aggressive. New U.S. guidelines include recommendations for weight loss drugs and surgery for some teens. Can we start there in the spirit of transitioning to smarter, not harder? It's awesome. If you just think about it, if you just cut off your legs, not only do you reduce your weight, you also reduce skin cancer risk because you have less skin. I mean, this the, clearly this makes so much sense. We should all do this. I'm so glad we're on the same page with yeah. this. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I, but I feel like part of the argument here is, and this I saw this and I was just like, this is shocking that we are at a place in our society where we actually just accept a headline like this. Like this headline should be headline news that we're talking about obesity in the context of putting kids, not adults, kids on drugs and giving kids access to surgeries. And I think one of the ongoing arguments from health officials and politicians and otherwise is health is really hard, Megan. We can't assume that health is accessible to everybody. Let's segue to this solution that's going to be landing on people's laps on February 28th, Smarter Not Harder, your most recent book. Like, is health really, I know you've dedicated your life to this, but is it like, is it really that hard that we need to be, you know, delivering surgery to kids to to help them overachieve their obesity? It's not that hard. Now, I'm an unlicensed biohacker. I have lectured to thousands of doctors at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. You'll find my books at a lot of doctor's offices. I am a computer hacker, and my doctor at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation told me that vitamin C would kill me and didn't know who Linus Pauling was, who got two Nobel Prizes and took 90 grams of vitamin C a day, only guy to ever get two Nobels. And when my doctor didn't know who that was and couldn't tell me why a vitamin C would kill me, I fired my doctor and I had a $179 bill on my credit report for seven years as unpaid because I didn't pay him and I still never paid him. I can say it's not that hard because I don't look at it like a doctor and I'm doing my best to teach people, including doctors and physicians and other healthcare providers, a new way of thinking that's complimentary. For 17 years, I was married to a medical doctor and I know the medical mindset And I know the hacking one and the hacking one is how do we get a result without knowing all the pieces and what we've learned in the, in the world of medicine, there's stuff I'll never know about physiology and fixing broken arms and inflating lungs and whatever the heck you guys do. That's awesome and amazing. And like, I want to watch, that's not what I do when it comes to manipulating a system. That's what a hacker does. And you don't have to know what's in there to manipulate it. You just poke on it and see what happens. And you poke on it and see what happens. And the systems you deal with are hidden and low. And it turns out when you look at the human body, there is provably a separate intelligence running your meat that is not you. And it is faster than you. And I can show you with electrodes at my own neuroscience clinic that has seven patents on EEG technology. (laughs) And this is a, a measure of the reaction time. And for your listeners who are into neuroscience, what I'm talking about is called P300D, which is a measure of when I clap my hands, you see it right away. You know, there's a lag time from the speed of sound and has to go across the internet, but almost instantly you see it. But if I had electrodes glued to your head, a third of a second after I clap my hands is the first electrical wiggle that says your brain even knows something happened in the world around you. And then it takes more time for you to know it was a clap versus some other sound. So do you sense that there's a third of a second delay on reality? Yeah, not not necessarily. I don't. Nobody does. But that means that there's some other thing or person or entity inside of you that's doing stuff that's entirely invisible to you. And likewise, Megan, 
Do you see the blind spot in the very center of each eye about the size of a dime? I do not. It, it's there and we can prove it's there. You don't see it, right? Who edited that out of reality? It's kind of scary, right? Like, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know. In, in Smarter, Not Harder, which, by the way, subtle plug, please buy the book. It's totally worth your time. <laughs> Um, smarter, not harder. I talk about the meat operating system, and this is why medicine is so messed up inside your body. Before you can think of all the stuff you think about, there's a blindingly fast network of, it's actually a, a distributed collective consciousness of ancient bacteria embedded in your cells. And even a lot of medical doctors are like, well, yeah, mitochondria, you know, they're, they make electricity. That's it, totally not real. They are computers and they're environmental sensors. And they look around and they go, what's going on in the world today? Okay, based on that, and this is just one little mitochondria, there might be 15,000 in, in a brain cell or 100,000 in your ovaries. The most energy and manufacturing dense part of any human is the ovaries. So you look in there and each little cell goes, hmm, what's going on? And it asks its buddies, hey, what do you think is going on? And then they decide, they actually vote the same way that cryptocurrencies vote. And then they go, okay, based on our assessment of reality, which has nothing to do with what you know in your head, because they don't know about time and they can't see their dumb little bacteria. They decide, should we make inflammation? Should we make electricity? Should we make sex hormones? Should we make melatonin or serotonin? Should we fold proteins? Should we make this person younger or should we make them older? Should we make adrenaline? Should we make cortisol in your cells, not in your gonads, not in your glands, in your cells distributed throughout your body? Holy crap. That's not what they told us, but that's how it works. And since they all are a collective intelligence, the ideas in Smarter Not Harder are, hey, what do we know now about getting a signal into your meat to make it do your bidding? Because your meat's actually angry that you're in there. And I can say this, I've had 1,500 high-end entrepreneurs come through my five-day brain upgrade program. It's called 40 Years of Zen. And what, what always happens is in the first three days, is going through and reprogramming your operating system to stop having so many notifications and alerts. Because you know that if you pick your phone up and it's just covered in alerts and you're trying to send a message and just bling, 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 you can't do anything. The average entrepreneur who hasn't done a lot of personal development work, every meeting, every day is just constant alerts. And you just think they're real. You think they're reality. But it turns out you can turn off those alerts. And when you do that, wow, I have a lot more capacity. So what I've studied in Smarter Not Harder is based on, in part, the neuroscience from 40 Years of Zen, which I've been running for about eight years. But more than that, it's from running a franchise company that's just starting to franchise across the U.S. and Canada. It's called Upgrade Labs. I opened the first Upgrade Labs about eight years ago underneath Arnold Schwarzenegger's office in Santa Monica. And... I wanted to take the million dollars worth of technology that I've used to improve myself, to, to lose the weight, to get my brain working and to get younger and make it accessible for everyone as a membership. And it started the idea of a biohacking lab. And if in your town, you have someone doing cryotherapy and red light therapy, that was me. <laughs> like they, they went to Santa Monica. They looked at what I was doing. We do a lot more than that, though. And the learning there was profound because when people come in, whether it's to a doctor's office or to an upgrade labs, which is not medical. They say, I want to be healthy. But when you woke up this morning, Megan, did you say, I want to be healthy? Like the first thing in the morning? Probably not my first thing in the morning. No, no. what was first? Uh, I need my coffee. It was like okay. the very first. Good. Yeah. You right. and me, we're aligned mm -hmm. there. So you wanted mm -hmm. your energy, in other words. 
I wanted my energy. And then, well, I've got three kids. And then it was just, it was mayhem from there. Yeah. So basically wanting to be healthy is about number 17 on the honeydew list. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not alone. There is no one who wants to be healthy as their first thing, except people who are incredibly sick. Like I was when I had chronic fatigue, when you can't get out of bed because you're sick, when you think you might die, you want your health back till then you'd rather frankly make more money or get laid. That's okay. That's your meat operating system at work. Because if you get laid, the species will continue. And if you make money, you'll be safe. And it really wants to be safe because it worries about that. Right. And Oh my God. You mean those aren't moral failings? No, those are built into your operating system and your operating system gets to do that stuff before you can think about it. And then it sends you those urges and then you feel guilty about them versus, Oh, I know, I know what's going on here. I'm getting fed a load of bullshit from the system in my body that's interpreting reality for me. So I better change the way my system interprets reality so that I can be calm in meetings so that I can handle way more than you'd ever think. By way of example, and I don't normally talk about this blatantly on shows, but you have powerful entrepreneurs listening to this. I have built a $100 million company from scratch. I have eight other companies in my portfolio. I have more than 300 million podcast downloads, and this will be my fifth New York Times bestseller. I have two teenagers. I just moved to Austin, and I'm happy, and I'm not stressed, and I sleep, and I sleep well every single night. I could not do this when I was 30 or 40. This is because of biohacking, because you have this much capacity inside of you. It's just getting taken up by all these notifications and your body probably does a poor job of turning air and food into electricity. So why don't we fix those things? That's why I wrote Smarter Not Harder, because you can get 12 hours a week back and get results you would never believe. So your health works and you have the energy to bring it. And that's what all my businesses are lined around is how do we make people dangerous? Like you have so much power. Who knows what you might do? You might start another company. You might say no to the idiots in charge of wherever you live. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's your energy and you don't have it right now. Okay. So what is the interplay? Like as you're talking about this, I was like, there is some sort of confluence of mindset and limiting beliefs and capacity for manifestation and mitochondria can we put all of these in one yeah one box because i'm kind of feeling like we're talking about the same thing in different packages and we talk about the manifestation piece because like as soon as we put mitochondria and manifestation in the same sentence i'm like oh that is the exact language that i want to speak most days let, let me walk you through it let me lift my coffee cup up because i'm like right on brand with this conversation nice i love it for people who are only listening it says manifest this shit all right so We've all heard of quantum and quantum is a great marketing word that makes most people throw up in their mouth right now. But there is such a thing as a PhD in quantum biology from real universities because it turns out quantum tunneling is a real thing. In quantum systems, reality exists as a possibility until you look at it. And so when there is an observer, the wave collapses into a particle and there's something called the dual slit experiment and you can google it it's on wikipedia even though wikipedia is a trash website full of lies about alternative medicine that one is still accurate at least for now what we've learned and even if you hang out with the guys who wrote the secret jack canfield and runs a group like that that i'm a member of and i've spoken to them we believe that we are the observers of reality Newsflash, you're a third of a second behind the observers of reality. You have a distributed array of antenna. These environmental sensors are your mitochondria. They are the first line observers of reality. You have oh, probably a trillion of them. I forget the number from my book on mitochondria. You have like a lot of zeros in them. 
all in your body, all looking around, all kind of flopping everywhere, trying to figure out, is that a tiger chasing me or am I in a spin class? Right. And they're the ones that manifest. They're trying to keep the body alive. Their job is to filter reality. You only get to see a tiny bit of the reality they see. Because if you saw, I don't know, a life-size map of Los Angeles, it would be kind of useless because you'd have to unroll it on Los Angeles. You can't do that. So everything we see is kind of like an icon on what's really there. It's just we see a tiny bit that indicates what's behind it. Like when I look at you, I don't look at proton spin on your red blood cells, but I know it's in there, but I, I can't see it. So it's kind of confusing. But when you really learn how to manifest, what you're doing is you're interfacing with your operating system and you're getting in alignment and you're telling it that it is safe and that it should expect to see something. And when it expects to see something, it'll see it. And when it sees it, it's real. So you don't manifest with your brain. You manifest with this system in the body. At least that's one of the ways. There's three other ways of manifesting that I'm not going to tell you about, but that's a primary one that people... But it's in chapter 14. No, no, I just, <laughs> it, it, the other three ways are very mystical and uh, they're, they're, probably not, they're probably not for your show. But when you make your mitochondria more powerful, which is kind of a through line from my work, what you realize is that more powerful antenna can be more observant of reality. And here's a very interesting thing. When you're 18 your lag time on reality is only a quarter second. And as you become 35, 40, it drops to about 350 milliseconds, about a third of a second. It gets slower and slower as you age. It's a reliable indicator of how you're aging. I still have the brain response time of an 18-year-old because my brain is upgraded. I mean, I've done 40 years of Zen work, upgrade labs work, and I wrote a book about mitochondria and the brain and enhancing BDNF. So it actually works. What that means though is if you wanted to look at yourself as a manifesting machine, maybe having a narrower window on reality so your lag time is less than everyone else lets you manifest first. I don't know. I think it does. Okay, so if we're optimizing these antenna, I am assuming what we are also doing is optimizing our ability to be influenced by some of the other things that antenna will pick up. These like invisible things that are damaging to mitochondria and our health. If you believe that your mitochondria are an antenna array, that would make sense. And also your DNA itself in a lot of the studies now appears to also be an antenna array for picking up on certain things in reality. Again, this is all metaphysical. And some doctors are like, Dave, you just went off in the quantum woo-woo land. Okay, you could unfollow me. I, I'm just telling, I'm calling it like I see it. And I could be wrong. We don't have studies for all of this, but some of this there actually are studies for. What I'm suggesting is that if you're mitochondria, your meat operating system got programmed when you were three years old by being shamed for something to feel shame. Shame is a deadly feeling to mitochondria because if you get kicked out when you're three, you can't feed yourself and then you die and they don't want to die. They're stupid and they're blindingly fast. You, unfortunately, you're really smart, but you're really slow compared to them. So they're going to feel that feeling when someone in a board meeting says something that just pushes an old button and you got triggered, every time you are triggered, it is your meat operating system misfiring and sending up a bunch of alerts. And then you actually believe what it tells you. And then the voice in your life, you know, she's saying this to me because she thinks I'm not good enough or whatever the heck the voice in your head says. And then you believe and then you act on it. But all it is, is your dumb operating system trying to keep you alive because it thinks that comment was like a tiger about to eat you. What I teach entrepreneurs to do, particularly in 40 years of Zen, is, hey, 
maybe we should unload the bullets from the gun so you can't be triggered. Because each of those bullets, it's a vulnerability, and each of those is a time you're going to say something unkind to your employees that you didn't mean. You're going to lose your shit at a time when, frankly, most people lose their shit, but you're in charge, and there's hundreds of people or thousands of people or millions of people relying on you to not lose your shit. So if you lose it, it's more expensive to the world. So you're carrying a bigger responsibility, at least for your employees and your family, of course. You got to unload that stuff. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're reprogramming your meat operating system to not be reactive and to spot the good stuff. That's the last two chapters of Smarter Not Harder, by the way. I go into um, the stuff after you've got your energy back. What are you going to do with it? Well, you're probably going to fix your brain. You're going to change your response to stress. And then I get into a chapter or two on spirit hacking. And what do you mean spirit hacking? That's so sacrilegious. Look, I don't have time to sit in a cave and meditate for 14 hours a day. I, I actually have other stuff I think matters more, but I think that would be useful. So what if I could sit in a cave for one minute instead of 14 hours and get the same or similar results? I would do that. And I'd probably do it for 10 minutes. And then I'm like, dude, I totally dominated because I just got like a week's worth of meditation done in 10 minutes. Let's do that. And so I just go through whether you wanted to put weight on or to put muscle on. You wanted to lose fat. You wanted your cardio. You wanted your brain to work better. You wanted better management of stress or you just wanted more energy. You want to get your energy back. Each of those, there's a whole bunch of technologies that we didn't know about 10 or 20 years ago that are so much better than picking up rocks and running away from tigers on a treadmill. That's all exercise is, is a variation of those, maybe some stretching in there too. We can do better. And I wrote Smarter Not Harder so that you can buy your time back. And you can replace five hours, so an hour a day, five days a week of doing cardio with five minutes three times a week, and you'll get six times better results. So wait, 15 minutes versus five hours, and I got six times better cardio function? That sounds like manifesting right there. It's just science. What's happening is that, and there's a new principle, and especially for the medical professionals who are listening to your show, this is a big deal. And it's one of the things that motivated me to write Smarter Not Harder. It's a new principle in biology that I have not seen written about anywhere. And I've read a lot of papers and I call it slope of the curve biology, which is not a good marketing term. But (laughs) what it means is that almost every system, not all, but almost every system in the body responds best to how quickly can you turn on a stressor until you almost break it. You almost reach disequilibrium. And this is the most important part. How quickly do you return to baseline? And it's the return to baseline that we suck at because Part of what our body, our operating system does, thinking is hard. Your brain uses enormous amounts of electricity. So to save time and save electricity, the brain doesn't think through everything. It takes shortcuts and tells you that they're actually real and that you did think through it. And we all know this to be true, even though it's uncomfortable. So one of the biggest shortcuts that saves the most electricity in your brain is if something is good, do more. And if something is bad, don't do any. Now. This is a bad idea because drinking water, you can die from having too much water without electrolytes in it. And fasting is good, but you could also die of starvation. So, But we tend to go to extremes without thinking because it's just less work to not think about it. So when it comes to exercise, we also have a shame thing about being lazy, especially entrepreneurs, actually. It's funny. Uh, And we'll get into laziness in a bit. But when it comes to exercise, we know that struggle 
and working hard, that's what gives you results. That's what makes you a good person, actually. So you go to the gym and you get on the treadmill or even worse, the exercise class with like those spandex and like the instructor, like talking in a high pitch and, you know, clapping their hands and playing pop music. You go there and, and you're, you're pedaling and you warm up and then you pedal really, really hard and you think, I must be burning some calories here. That's nonsense. And then magically, it's time for your first sprint and you sprint and your mitochondria, they're in there going, holy crap, a tiger is chasing me right now. Okay. And then you get to the end of the sprint. Okay, you can rest now and you pedal slowly. Now, what a normal, healthy human would do is you'd be like, oh, I got away from the tiger. It's time to rest. But instead of that, you just went for a little while. Then you did another sprint. And what you told your body was, the tiger is still chasing me. I'm being hunted for 45 minutes. And you probably ate a kale salad ahead of time, which strips nutrients from your body and doesn't have enough energy in it. So now the body's like, well, good God, there's a famine and I've been hunted for 45 minutes. Tell you what, I'll give you some endorphins. How about some drugs to make you feel better so you can survive this long hunt of a tiger? And you get out and you feel like, you know, you did your part as a good person. Well, if you do that, that hour a day, five times a week, you do it reliably for six to eight weeks. So this is a lot of time. You got to drive there. You got to shower afterwards. You got to like get all your spandexy stuff on. Like it's a lot of time. <laughs> You'll improve by 2% your VO2 max, which is a study or a measure of your cardiovascular performance. If you do the techniques in Smarter Not Harder, which is about getting just the right signal in and then quickly recovering, you'll improve by 12% in five minutes, three times a week. But am I still a good person because it wasn't hard? Exactly, no, you're going to have to find your good personness by using the other, oh, what is it? Yeah, the other four hours and 45 minutes, you're going to have to do something worthy with that time that you saved in order to be a good person. I say this half jokingly, but I think for a lot of people, this is going to be a legit barrier to entry for them because oh, yeah. there's this core conditioning that it must, it must be hard. I must oh. work hard. I must work out hard. Like yeah. getting money must be like our obsession with things being hard to justify whatever fanciful outcome is a thing. I have a new line of hair shirts coming out for people like that. Do you know about hair shirts? No. So in the 14th century, monks who realized that they were sinners, so they had to suffer, they would whip themselves. It's called self-flagellation. And then they would put on shirts made out of hair that were super itchy so they could never be comfortable because they knew that made them better people. So what I'm suggesting is if you are one of the people who really just believes you have to suffer to be a better person, you could just wear really uncomfortable underwear and you could get your suffering done while you're doing other stuff that matters more. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm actually wearing uncomfortable underwear right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but like the, the whole idea, if you think about it, who told you you had to suffer? Oh, it's like a whole thing. Our mutual friend, Gita, who we were talking about before, she's like, I don't understand this about you North Americans. Like everything you do is so darn hard. Like you make it all so She's so hard. judgmental. She's always making fun of me. Kita, what's up? Just because I live in Texas. I mean, come on. I only have a few guns. Jeez. Come on. But it's, it is a, it's a legitimate thing. And so let's for a second just talk to, let's talk to the people who are willing to step over okay. the hard piece. They're willing, they're like, okay, I, I, I am, I'm okay doing the smarter version of this, not the harder version. What are the core tenants? We can make this really personal because I believe this. I made $6 million when I was 26, believing that I had to suffer. I you know, sacrificed my health. I didn't sleep very much, didn't build my social life the way I could have. I didn't focus on relationships. I was like, I'm going to make money because when I have money, I'll be happy and I'm willing to suffer any amount. And then when I had $6 million, I looked at a friend at the same company and 
I said, you know, I'll be happy when I have 10 million. Right. So I, I learned that suffering for money doesn't actually make you happy. Suffering doesn't make you happy, except brief bouts of pain actually does make you happy. And this is pretty well established in science now. So if you're one of the people who really believes that you have to suffer, may I suggest ice baths? Because they provide enough pain stimulus to make your dopamine feel better. So you'll be happier the rest of the day. You could also do the whipping yourself the way they used to. But I really seriously think ice baths are a better technique. It's my favorite part of the day. Yeah. The ice baths, not the whipping. I feel like we need to be very clear. You're kind on of that. a masochist that way. It, it turns out the, one of the reasons that people like ice baths is it, it does produce a pain response. And humans have a long history of intentionally feeling pain for brief periods of time so that we're happier the rest of the time. And that's just like a thing we do. But ice baths are the easiest and safest way to do it. Or you could go to a spin class and feel pain that way. It's just you don't improve very much from it. I would just recommend recognize that there's some part of you, it's your meat operating system, that has learned that survival equals suffering and struggle. As an entrepreneur, if you believe that, your life will suck because you have the ability to spend money and time and direct people to increase your suffering. And you will do it without seeing yourself do it because your operating system acts before you do and it hides stuff from you in reality. That's its job. It creates the user interface that you see through your eyes and through your ears. So smarter, not harder... What I'm proposing here is, number one, pick a goal, right? And if your goal is, I want to be healthy, you tell me what that means. Because your answer is not what my answer is. It's not what anyone else's answer is. There's five big areas that came out of the Upgrade Labs work. And I have to do a shout out. Upgrade Labs is uh, franchising. OwnNUpgradeLabs.com. We're opening dozens of these across the country. So ideally, there'll be one in your neighborhood and you can just go. If not, you could put one there. So... What these five things are, and we help you discover what it is when you come in, is putting on muscle, getting your energy back or losing weight, getting your cardiovascular system up, being able to handle stress better than you do now, and having a brain that works better. If your goal is, I want a brain that works better, and you go to the gym to you know do a spin class or to lift weights or whatever it is, it's probably not going to get you to that goal first. So understanding your first and your second priority really changes what you're going to do. And I teach you how to prioritize that in Smarter Not Harder. And once you pick the right one of those for you, you're going to use the technology that works best in the least possible amount of time. And suddenly you're going to have more capacity, more energy. And after that, you can put it into your business, you put it into your family, you can put it into your community, you can put it into your next goal. And all of a sudden you just realize, wow. I can do a lot. And now I'm sitting through something that would have completely driven me crazy. And I'm calm, even though things didn't go the way I wanted versus I am tortured because they didn't go. I've lived both of those lives and I've had all kinds of shit go wrong in the last couple of years. And I'm all right because I did my work. And I just want people to understand doing the work without having the energy to do the work is another form of torture. So focus on your energy first. I was going to say that, like, we're talking about, you know, it can be easy. It doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. I actually have found the hardest part of all of this, though, is doing the work. And that's where I want actually all my energy reserved for is to do the work because everything else gets accelerated when you are available for that. Piece. You're so right. As you were talking about that, there was one thing there that I was like, this, this really resonates with me. And this is, you know, you talked about putting things in order. And as a clinician, Right. That's actually what I found was my biggest issue. If people would come in, I'm like, you're doing all sorts of great things. It's just the sequence is off. We're putting this yeah. in the wrong order. 
Like, what is the framework to start to get people thinking about that? So they don't have a backpack full of all of the health things they've ever learned, but they're like stripping down and have a place to start. Where do we need to get people starting? The structure of Smarter Not Harder is there for that. And one of the first chapters there is called uh, Remove Friction. And so, okay, what are the things that are slowing the system down? What I'm going to propose there is it's not what you think it is. It's not, oh, there's a you know, an infection of this or rheumatoid that, those are usually symptoms of something going on in the body. And the things that cause friction are the things that lower your ability to have your mitochondria work at full capacity. So now you have these sensors that are trying to tune into reality, but they're only running at 70% of what they could do. So they can't tune in very well. And when they do tune in, they can't make electricity or hormones or anything very well. That's one of the two things. The other thing that I'll talk about because you have practitioners on here that's not in the book is you should look at the immune system, which is part of the meat operating system. And for that, the role of mast cells is really underappreciated. Your mitochondria are looking at the world and trying to manifest and trying to determine threats and deciding how much energy they're going to give you when they're done with that and what they're going to show you or not show you when they're done with that. Your immune cells, the mast cells, they're looking for potential threats. And when they find one, they explode and release all sorts of mitochondrial signaling molecules called inflammatory cytokines. So if you were to just look at mast cells and look at mitochondrial function, you would solve about 90% of what's going on in medicine. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. I feel like that's all we're talking about is mast cells. And if you're not a clinician, you're like, I'm not talking about that, Megan. That is not the only thing I'm talking about. But on a functional medicine side, I feel like mast cells are actually having a moment right now. They're plugged directly into the mitochondrial conversation. And people don't talk about that with it. If you're like me and you had toxic mold as a kid, I grew up in a basement with toxic mold. It lowers mitochondrial function and it makes the meat operating system feel like there's always a threat. So a lot of people with mold do have PTSD around mold. In fact, there's a documentary. It's free. It's called Moldy Movie. It's at moldymovie.com. This is one I filmed with a dozen doctors and a dozen people are affected by it. Mold and the virus, which shall not be named for fear of algorithms. Thank you. They both activate mast cells and they both create chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a mast cell and a mitochondrial disorder. Huge numbers of people. We're talking diabetes, heart problems, cancer. All of those are related to those two systems, and those two systems are intertwined. So when you look at something like biohacking, like, okay, what do you mean? Well, what would happen if you raise your VO2 max by 12% in five minutes, three times a week at an upgrade labs? Well, that equals two years of additional healthy life, according to tables that look at the correlations of those two. I can't say that having a VO2 max causes you to live longer. It just probably does. And what would happen... If you did the neurofeedback at Upgrade Labs instead of or in addition to whatever your meditation practice is, and suddenly you had massive shifts in brain waves so that you had more stable networks in your brain, and you just didn't get triggered by your kids asking for the cookie 10 billion times. Well, wouldn't that be nice? Because I know I've been triggered by that. And you're like, you had me at triggered by the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times you don't even eat cookies. Why do you want to skeptical <laughs> this whole interview until you said that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So those are the things that that really matter. And they all come down to those two networks. Do these things matter equally in men and women? Like when you look at the research that you're you're sharing in Smarter, Not Harder, which I'm like all in on and can't wait till I have my hands on my copy. 
Do you delineate in, in the research between men and women? Well, I mean, we all know women are just little men. Uh, so why would we do that? I mean, I, I looked at the research in the 1970s and that's what it said. Note the sarcasm ever. <laughs> of course. In fact, in my last book, I, I had a whole separate chapter. These are just the studies on fasting for women because it, it's different than for men. For the biohacks that I'm talking about here, it isn't very different. But when I talk about things like restoring mineral balance, which is also really underappreciated, it's just the least sexy supplement ever known to man is minerals and trace minerals. It's just nothing works without those, including meditation or exercise. And we're all deficient because these fake foods are sucking minerals out of our bones. How do you really feel, Dave? I thought I was toning myself down. <laughs> I, okay, I got to go do some trauma release work around mineral deficiency. It's actually kale that's making me angry. I have kale trauma. Do you know how to treat that? Uh, I, I have some thoughts. I have some th <laughs> we'll take those offline. <laughs> uh, what's going on with, uh, with all of those things? is that we just want our bodies to work better. And there's so many different ways to do it. And it feels overwhelming uh, for everyone. But the technique of slope of the curve biology, it's the same for men and women. But you have to push yourself right to the edge of disequilibrium. And here's something that's politically not going to be correct, but it's actually true. So I'm going to say it. Women usually reach disequilibrium before men. Women have higher pain tolerance on average than men. but Women reach disequilibrium before men do, uh, on average. And that's because your operating system as a woman is concerned about your longevity. And it knows that if you are in the position of not having enough nutrients or being too physically stressed and then getting pregnant, that you could die or the species could die. So it always holds something in reserve in case. And... That is one of the reasons that you'll see different marathon times for men and women. It's not just length of femur and all that. It's because women are holding the ability to make new life and your operating system is doing that on purpose. And this is why you look at maximum heart rate, you look at stress tests, the level of reaching disequilibrium is different for women and men. It's also different when you're 50 versus 20. Uh, and it's also different based on your thyroid status. The principle of push yourself quickly and recover quickly, that's the same. The amount of pushing is not the same and it's highly customized because there are women listening to this who probably can handle more than I can. So their disequilibrium is going to be very high and mine might be pretty good, right? So it has to be customized. And that's the idea behind Upgrade Labs, which is you come in and we look at who are you and how are you doing right now? And who are you? Part of that is, okay, you know, what's my biological sex? Because that controls parts of your operating system that you we don't have conscious control of then we look at thousands of measures in your body that we'll do this electrically your cells ability to store and forward electricity where's fat in the body what's your bone density all of that happens when you walk in the door then we look at what's your goal and based on that we use our ai algorithms to chart the best path through the technology to get you to your goal in the least possible number of minutes and the least possible amount of effort that there is on the planet and then we gather data from how it worked and put it back into the system so that the next person who comes through, we can be even a little bit better. And the bottom line is, I don't ever want to go to the gym again. I'm going to do one minute of gym tomorrow that gets me done for the rest of my life. We're nowhere near that. But I am so freaking lazy because I have better things to do with that time. And I will argue, especially for your listeners, you owe it to yourself to be lazy. 
every entrepreneur out there, we are solving a problem because we're lazy. People didn't want to do like pushing a plow. It was annoying. So we invented tractors and women hated waking up at 4 a.m. to let the bread rise so they can make breakfast, which has been the job of women for at least a thousand years. Well, it seems like those little cans of biscuits that you just pop open or baking powder actually were because people were lazy. They didn't want to do it anymore. And it was it's noble to save time and energy for people. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're solving someone's problem and it's so important, they're paying you to do it. So just embrace that. And the motivation for doing what I'm talking about is that understanding your body is lazy and it affects your ability to see reality. It's the one that makes the couch and the Doritos look really attractive because the couch means you won't use the energy so you won't starve to death and the Doritos are free energy. It's okay that you want those things. We're programmed to feel shame because we want those, but our body is programmed to want those. So just like, of course, the couch looks attractive because my body is hacking my reality and the gym looks terrible because my body is hacking my reality. I am the one who chooses. And once you understand this, like, hold on a second. How do I motivate myself? Because motivation is a feeling that comes from my meat. This is what I call the laziness principle. And it's the hardest thing to market ever because as soon as you say lazy, people get all squirmy and uncomfortable. But that's okay. I'm going to make you even more lazy. Have you ever, Megan, gone to the store, the mall, and you came back like with a pair of shoes that was like $300 off? Maybe? Yes. Yes. And we know that we're starting already up here if it's $300 off. Yeah, $300 discount. They're on sale, right? <laughs> yeah, so they're right. probably yeah, a little more than 300 right? So you come home and you say, hey, look, I spent $400 on these shoes? Or do you say I saved $300 on the shoes? Depending on who I'm talking to, of course I saved $300 on those shoes. Exactly. <laughs> the reason we focus on that is because your body is lazy and it, fo- it makes savings look bigger than they are. It really does. It makes that savings feel more important than the fact you actually spent $400. It's changing your perspective. So here's how to motivate yourself to do the stuff that's in smarter, not harder, because most of it's actually pretty easy. When you're doing your cardio for five minutes that you don't sweat in, you don't have to change clothes unless you're wearing a dress, right? You have to be able to sit on a bike, but you will not sweat. So, okay, I'm going to go to Upgrade Labs. I'm going to save 55 minutes. And that's all you tell yourself. Now, your body will make that savings look as good as that coupon on the shoes or that discount on the shoes. So we're motivated by laziness. We're motivated by savings. We're motivated by not working. So why should you motivate yourself and say, I have willpower. I have grit. I'm just going to go work it off. I'm going to go like, no, put that in your business. Yeah. Save that willpower for something else. Understand you got to keep your meat running at top shape. But that doesn't mean you have to suffer to do it. If you're gonna if you're gonna work really hard, you can work hard without suffering, without struggling. Just working hard and either failing or not failing, that is hard to do. That's why I've done all the personal development work. That's why the brain book and all that. If you had to suffer and struggle, maybe you should do it to put another zero on your income statement instead of to sweat more while someone yells at you in a spin class. Well, listen, and if you're gonna save 55 minutes, you can spend that time working on yourself, hanging out with your kids, like all the things that we're actually working for, the freedom that we say that we want. Dave, I am all over this. Before I let you go, I have a series of questions I ask my guests at the end of the interview. I call right. these my impact, uh, my impact questions, my impact ingredients. First question for you, when you need it at a moment's notice, how do you cultivate courage? Oh, um, I, you have to just not be afraid of dying. 
uh, and I've already done all of my work on that stuff. So yeah, courage comes when you think you're going to die. My meat operating system is wrong when it thinks it, that I'm going to die. Also, this is a slightly longer answer, but just choose to believe in reincarnation, whether it's real or not. Because if you do that, then death just looks like restarting the video game. And if you're wrong, you won't know it. So it's just like, it's a logical thing to do. I like, you don't have to believe it's real. You just have to tell yourself you believe it's real because it's logical that it's real uh, because then it lowers your stress. So literally courage comes from being afraid of dying. So uh, I don't have that issue right now. I, I don't know where courage is holding me back. And I'm not saying I always had that. I'm just saying I earned that. So there's a lot of things you earn when you get to do the work. Question number two, why do you hate Kale so much? Because Kale hates us. It's been trying to kill us ever since <laughs> it, ever since it crawled off the Pizza Hut salad bar where it was a garnish. It's It's been hunting humans and it kills us by giving us kidney stones, uh, by giving us gout, and by giving us vulvodynia with its high levels of oxalic acid. What's your motivational beverage of choice? Uh, that would be Danger Coffee. This is my new coffee brand full of minerals. I love coffee. It is... I tattooed caffeine on my arm. See, I love I was going to throw another news headline at you that happened today. We are. We're going to go there for one minute. New study out of U of T. I just want your I want your commentary on it. Here's the headline. New research out of U of T shows that half of us can't properly metabolize caffeine, which can lead to kidney damage, which enables you to no longer manage toxins in your body. Could we be dying one cup a day at a time? Can I just get your response to this before we move on? Hmm. I saw this and I was like, how perfectly timely. It, it's so <laughs> weird that there are literally hundreds of studies showing that coffee enhances our longevity. And you can Google any disease you want and coffee and find that coffee is profoundly well paired with our mitochondria to improve how they perform. The numbers I've seen are about 10% of people have the genetic dysfunction where they really, really are bad at detoxing. And for them, either a cup or no cups in the morning work. For the rest of us, I'm sorry, the data doesn't support what that found. I mean, there's too much other evidence. And even if that was true, the fact that it's associated with longer life and all these other things, you always look at risk reward. Everything has a risk. Everything has a reward. The reward on coffee is exceptionally high. Well, this is the beautiful thing about plants is usually you've got this like coexistence of something might be problematic and then also things that have factors that will help you live longer, metabolize easier. It's like reductionistic medicine in its classic, uh, in its classic form. I've got two last questions for you. What's your biggest non-negotiable? For me, it's integrity in your word. One of the four agreements. Uh, I've just had enough of people who say they're going to do something and then don't do it. I fire those people very, very quickly now. As an entrepreneur, were you born that way or did you learn to become an entrepreneur? I'm pretty sure I was born that way. Last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? I don't actually think about legacy at all. I, I don't care if people remember my name when I'm dead or not, except for the people who are my friends and my family. So uh, I know that I'm making a, a, actually a sizable impact. But I don't, I, I know the word legacy is kind of gross to me. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I don't need that. I love I, it. I love and that. you are right. You are having an absolute sizable impact. More impact to come. Smarter, not harder. Hit shelves on February 28th. Dave Asprey, it has been a pleasure having you here. Thanks, Megan. I appreciate all the cool questions about entrepreneurship. And for listeners, I would just genuinely appreciate it if you picked up a copy of the book. You might read it later, but buy it now so it'll get on the list and it'll help more people that way. Amazing. We will share all of this on our social channels. You can get a link to buy the book over at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Dave, thank you so much. Thanks, Megan. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.